Welcome to the Boardroom Network podcast hosted by Lex McKee of the Boardroom Education. Today we are continuing our series with Chris Wilkinson, chartered FCIPD member, uh, the Managing Director of Expert HR Solutions Limited. And we have been exploring the employee journey. Today, it's time for exits. We begin today with asking Chris about the wisdom to do with having a policy for everything to do with your employees. Lex, you asked us whether it was actually sensible for an employer to have a policy for pretty well everything to do with their employees. Generally speaking, the more employees you've got, or rather perhaps more importantly, the more line managers you've got, or people with management position positions or responsibilities, it becomes sensible to have policies because that provides you with a consistency of approach. In a really small company, there's probably only one, maybe two people with management responsibility. And you need to remember that all policies actually are a bit like a double-edged sword. The commonest reason for small companies being taken to tribunal is because they've got a policy which they've then failed to follow exactly. For smaller companies, we tend to say, you have to have a disciplinary, you have to have a grievance. Employ more than four people, you have to have a health and safety policy. And pretty much now, as a result of the introduction of GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulations, you've pretty well got to have a data protection policy as well. Uh, Other than that, don't go there. Chris, when can an employee resign? Whenever they want, really. Uh, But a properly written contract of employment will include a clause that states how much notice they have to give the employer if they wish to resign. Is there a legal minimum amount of notice the employee must give me? Uh, Yes, there is. If they've worked for you for one month or more, The legal minimum period is one week, but their contract of employment may stipulate more. And the contract of employment should state the notice period required by both parties uh, in the first month. But the law is strangely silent on the duration for that period. When they've worked for you for a month, the minimum period of notice is one week. For the period between day one and one month, the law, the law says nothing other than the fact that you actually have to give notice. If an employee gives notice of their intention to leave, must they work their notice period? Uh, the choice here is actually with the employer uh, as to whether they require the employee to work their notice period. Uh, but they must either get them to work it, in which case obviously they get paid, or alternatively they have to pay them in lieu normally abbreviated to pylon. Pylon, meaning payment in lieu of notice. That's the one. If an employee gives notice, do I have to give them any other benefits other than pay? Sadly, the answer is yes, they continue to accrue uh, all of their leave and any other benefits that they are contractually entitled to through their notice period, whether you get them to work it or whether you pay them in lieu. Is there a default retirement age? Oh, a really simple one, Lex. Thanks. No. (laughs) What are the rules about state pension and retirement? Ah, well, this is a bit of a changing feast. Currently, 
the statutory minimum retirement age is 62. But employers are now required to offer re-employment to eligible employees who turn 62 up to the age of 65, if that makes sense. The state pension age equalised for men and women at 65 in 2018 and will increase for both men and women to 66 in 2020, 67 in 2028, and 68 by 2037. Can I continue to work and claim the state pension? Yes, provided you've reached your state pension age. Can my employer force me to retire? Well, believe it or not, in some cases, the answer to that is yes, they can at a certain age. It's known as compulsory retirement age, which is different from the, the old default retirement age, which we talked about earlier. But they must have a good reason to do so, such as the job requires certain physical abilities. Construction industry would be uh, a good example of that. Or the, jo the job itself actually has an age limit that is set in law. Uh, and the one that are commonly quoted on the one that is commonly quoted on that is actually the fire service. We're moving to the exciting area of dismissals now. Can I dismiss an employee for any reason? No is the very short answer for that. Dismissal for a dismissal to be fair in the eyes of the law, it has to be for one of the following reasons. So you can dismiss on grounds of capability. This would include issues like lateness, absenteeism, persistent absence through illness or injury, either short-term or long-term, or things like that. You can dismiss on grounds of competence. In other words, they're not capable of doing the job. You could dismiss on grounds of qualifications. So some jobs require certain qualifications. Uh, if you find that someone who perhaps said in the recruitment process that they did have them doesn't, uh, you could dismiss. You can dismiss on grounds of conduct, so that's how they're behaving. Redundancy is quite an emotive one, but actually it is actually in law classed as a reason for dismissal uh, rather than separate in its own right. You can always dismiss if they contravene the law of the land. And then the catch-all one, uh, which you do need to be a bit careful of, uh, is called Other Substantial Grounds. Lex, you asked me about uh, what happens if someone isn't perhaps 100% truthful during the application process. The answer to that is you could dismiss, if it's a qualification type thing, uh, you could dismiss on grounds of qualifications, obviously. That would be fair, assuming they'd falsified their the fact that, I don't know, they're, they're supposed to be a qualified child minder and it turns out that they're not you could potentially dismiss on on those grounds the more common one is where people use application forms rather than cvs curriculum vitae as as the method of telling the employer what they've done and got the difference between the two is bluntly you can lie through your back teeth on a CV, whereas on an application form, if it's sensibly written, you have to sign to say that this is a true and accurate reflection of what you've actually got. And if it subsequently turns out that they've lied through their back teeth on the application form, you'd be able to 
dismiss uh, on on that one on all sorts of grounds, to be quite honest. Let's move on to workplace pensions. If I dismiss an employee, are they still entitled to their workplace pension? Uh, this is going to include a horrible legal word, I'm afraid, in terms of that, but I will try and actually explain what it means. Whether or not your employer will have, have the ability to do this actually depends on whether you, the employee, are what is called vested in the plan. In simple layman's language, what that means is you've made some financial contributions during the course of your employment to it. If you are vested, then actually you have the right to keep all of it, including any contributions that your employer has made. Do I have to give employees warnings prior to dismissal? Uh, In cases of serious misconduct, or often called gross misconduct, you can actually dismiss an employee without giving any any warnings. Uh, Also, if your employment agreement, contract of employment, includes a probation period, then the employer can dismiss you during that period without giving reasons or warnings, as long as they give you notice before the end of the probation period. What's the longest probation period you've ever come across or have been asked to put into a contract? The longest I've ever been asked to give is one year. It's a long time, isn't it? It is. I actually advise against it because at the end of the day, it becomes a bit pointless because by the time they've worked for you for a year, they've got almost all of employment law protection that they can. There's only a couple of couple of issues left that they're not protected under anyway. And given that, it also begs the question, why is it taking you so long to make up your mind as the employer whether this person is fitting? It's not brilliant PR. Let's say during their probation period, the notice period that they've decided to give is one week on either side. In effect they actually have to give notice to that employee one week plus an hour, day, minute, whatever you want, you, before the, of the fact that they're actually not intending to confirm in post. Because now, in employment law, if you haven't, under probation, said you are no longer required by the end of the probation period, which in effect means the notice period before, then they're deemed to be confirmed in post. Can an employee always claim unfair dismissal? No, they can't. If the reason for dismissal is a fair one, as we've already talked about, the protection in law from unfair dismissal actually has a qualifying period of two years of employment for anyone who started their job after 6th of April 2012, which effectively means anyone who's been employed for more than two years now. Let's shift our attention now then to suspending an employee during the dismissal process. An employee can be suspended due to a serious allegation of misconduct, but they must actually receive during that suspension their full pay uh, unless they are either not willing or not able to attend work. Um, Or there is a a clear contractual right for the employer to suspend without pay or benefits. Does an employee have a right to be accompanied to a disciplinary hearing? Yes, they do. 
but the right to be accompanied to a disciplinary is actually limited to either a work colleague, which means someone else who is employed by the same employer, or a trade union representative. If you want to be really pedantic, that's divided down into two different categories, a trade union representative, but essentially it's a trade union rep. So I can't bring my mum then in a sick note? Nope. Nor your friendly employment law solicitor. That's what I got tripped up on as a real baby. Yeah. I, I was a very baby HR person. And the individual said to me, they'd written to us before, that they were going to be accompanied by a trade union rep. It was a company that actually recognised trade unions. Um, they don't have to, to be accompanied by one, but it was. So, and because I was so baby, I forgot to check that they were indeed a trade union rep. They were actually an employment law solicitor. And I got ripped for arse paper. <laughs> what can I do if an employee leaves without giving notice? Okay, the good news is you actually don't have to pay them or pay them for their notice period because they haven't given you any. Potentially, they could be in breach of contract, uh, depending on what the contract actually says. And effectively, you can withhold all or part of their final wage if there is a clear contractual right to do so. What is the minimum notice period an employer must give an employee? Ooh, uh, the, other way around, the other way around. If uh, they have been continuously employed for between one month and two years, then the minimum notice period by the employer is one week. Uh, if they've continu been continuously employed for two years or more, then effectively it adds one week for each completed year of service up to a maximum of 12 weeks. There's a lot to learn, isn't there, for a small business who doesn't have their own HR expert. I can see how useful this podcast will be to small to medium enterprises. Yeah, this is the ending bit is if you just go as a generality, this is where they go wrong. I can really see then the exit part of an employee's journey can be the bit where it really does potentially get very messy. Employment law is a complex area and it's constantly evolving. The way it works in England and Wales, it actually works the same in Scotland and Northern Ireland, but the jurisdictions are different, is that the politicians make the laws and then the judges interpret what the politicians meant when they were passing uh, when they pass their judgments. Now, a horrible bit this, there are around about 150,000 employment tribunals in England and Wales alone each year. That's an awful lot of judgments to keep track of. So why not save yourself shed loads of time and just get expert HR solutions to do it for you? That sounds like a great call to wisdom to me, Chris. How do we reach you? How do we contact you? You can actually contact us uh, by telephone. Uh, the helpline legally is actually open from 8 o'clock in the morning until 6 o'clock in, in the evening. We pretty well guarantee you that if we can't answer the phone there and then, uh, that we will get back to you within four working hours. And in terms of that, the telephone number is 01202. 611033 or if you're an email sort of person then I'll use my email chris at expert hr solutions 
www.ghostsofthebridge.co.uk. Chris, give us an offer we shouldn't refuse. For those of you who actually think that uh, consultants are just there to take your money and and run, uh, we actually say, no, we need to make sure that actually we can indeed add value uh, to your business. And therefore, your initial consultation uh, is free. Awesome, Chris. Thank you very much. And a caveat for both of us. What we've shared today was accurate at the point we pressed the record button. Everything changes so quickly in HR, this is the very reason you need to be in contact and network with people like Chris Wilkinson, your expert for HR solutions. Thanks for tuning in to the TBN podcast. I look forward to welcoming you to the next show.